Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherwood. Tuesday, February 8th, Inside the Gamecast Podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Nice to be talking with you folks out there in Gamecock land. Uh, thanks to Heritage Digital for sponsoring uh, this segment of the podcast. Also, a few house cleaning notes. Want to want to let you guys know, uh, follow our Instagram account, Inside the Gamecocks. It's on Instagram. Uh, you get some uh, special stuff there, I would, I would imagine, and, and more to come. Uh, also, follow the Big Spur 247 on Instagram, uh, and also follow us on Twitter, at the Big Spur Pod. Uh, also, uh, subscribe to the Big Spur YouTube page. That's youtube.com uh, slash the Big Spur uh, for some extra content that sort of surrounds the podcast, the website, all that good stuff, uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, uh, all that happiness. Um, I'm sure you guys are on Facebook, too, but... Um, you know, the Big Spur Facebook page, I think everybody under the sun is like that. So uh, getting to it, uh, we broke the story. I broke the story Sunday night that Jody Wright from the New York Giants was going to be the guy <clears throat> for the tight ends position. Um, long-standing relationship with Shane Beamer, uh, relationship with Taylor Edwards, used to be at Alabama, uh, was an off-the-field recruiting coordinator. He's done a little bit of everything. Uh, coached uh, as a passing game coordinator, offensive line coach, was at Jacksonville State, UAB, the Cleveland Browns, the New York Giants. Um, you know, here's the thing with this hire. It's it, I, I don't I didn't know that much about this guy, um, and so what I did was I, I talked to some other people uh, that know him and and know what he's all about, and it all came back positive. And uh, it wasn't just folks within the South Carolina program because sometimes. You know, nobody internally is going to go, ah, terrible hire. <laughs> um, and so you want to kind of get some external feedback on it. And I uh, did. And, you know, hey, it was from, from, from some good programs. Um, 
you know, so we'll see what happens. Now, was I more familiar with some of the other candidates? Absolutely. Uh, do I think that on paper, some of the other candidates had better resumes? Yes. Do I think that some of the other candidates would have done a good job? Absolutely. But I'm not the head coach. And the head coach has to take into account more than just what we see, folks. They has to take into account staff fit. They have to take into account personality, um, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, you know, and I was asked, I was on 107.5 The Game just now earlier today. And so there's all kinds of things that go into a decision like that. Uh, if, if you want to know, like, some speculation on it, um, when Kimry was uh, when Kimry left last Wednesday to go to the Baylor school, uh, that's the first name I heard was Jody Wright. So, in my opinion, how this sort of unfolded was Jody Wright was the hire. They were planning on hiring him because Kimry and Beamer had been talking about it for a while. The Baylor school opportunity. So, so, so Beamer kind of probably started the search before. Uh, frankly, I, I was surprised that uh, some some guys that had coached with Freddie Kitchens and Joe Judge had not been part of the staff uh, to begin with because I, I know Beamer has a longstanding relationship with those guys. Um, you know, and, and and we'll see what happens. I mean, the, the, the feedback's been positive. Uh, and like I said, you know, I, I don't know everybody in the country. <laughs> uh, and so I don't I don't know this guy a whole lot. But uh from what I've heard uh, and what he's all about, uh, he uh, you know, could be a really good fit. Um, obviously, he has ties to the state of Alabama. That's where he's from. Uh, the 2023 recruiting cycle is loaded in Alabama. It's probably the best class in Alabama since 08, depth-wise, which was the year that um, you know Nick Saban signed the number one class, well, his first number one class, and, th- and they really got it going. That was Julio Jones and – a lot of those guys that were on those championship teams early on uh, in Saban's tenure. So, you know, I, it's funny because everybody's talking about Auburn now, and that's a situation that's kind of crazy. Uh, so maybe there's an opportunity to go in and steal some guys that are right below Bama's offer, offer board if Auburn is still a dumpster fire or whatever. It's still hard to get kids from that state to leave the state, but uh, – you know, the, the better it is at the top, the more players there are kind of in that second tier. And obviously, when you look back through the years, everybody from Captain Munderland to Taylor Stallworth uh, has been, you know, good to the Gamecocks. The Alabama kids usually pan out uh, for South Carolina. Uh, and then, of course, you got Tanner Bailey, future quarterback, four-star guy from Gordo coming in uh, with this class. So we'll see what happens with Jody, right? I, I know there's some people that were disappointed because – you know, you you look at Tim Brewster and, and that resume and, and you go, man, if he could do that here. And then, of course, his ties to North Carolina and all that. Uh, but like I said, you know, uh, the, when you look at the time frame, I, I would I think this this thing was done um, uh, before anybody knew who else was interested. Uh, it just. You know, because I heard that name before any other name, you know, I I would be surprised if um, if if it wasn't already done, which is fine. I mean, you know, you, you're a head coach. You need to get jobs filled quickly. And 
if you knew Kimry was kind of on his way out, that's fine. So there you go for that. All right, more former members of the Gamecock staff or you know football staff are latching on at places. Lance Thompson to Maryland. He was at FAU a while. Looked like he was maybe going to go to Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin. That did not happen. So he reunites with Mike Loxley uh, up there at the University of Maryland. You know, Lance gets a bad rap around here because of uh, recruiting. It did not go well for him when he was at South Carolina. But uh, I think he did a good job coaching that D-line. If you think about, you know, the players that he got better uh, that really hadn't been coached under Deke Adams and Lorenzo Ward in 2015 and 2014. Um, you know, guys like Dante Sawyer. Uh, I'm talking about Taylor Stallworth, who I mentioned earlier. He got a lot out of those guys. And um, certainly – you know, DJ Wanham was a buck. So I guess he was more of Peterson, but you know, Les Thompson coaching wise did a really good job. Uh, and I think he had a lot of fun in Columbia while he's here. So, uh, you know, I, I wish Lance the best. I don't, I don't have any, you know, I know some people are mad at him, but I, I don't, you know, because of, I guess Xavier Thomas or whatever, but uh, very uh, happy to see him back in power five coaching uh, wish it wasn't at Maryland because of some things that had happened with Jay Sean Parham and all that. But, uh, you know, Lance will do a good job up there for Loxley as they continue to try to, I guess, compete in one of the toughest divisions in football, the Big Ten East. Uh, Gamecock linebacker that hit the portal, Colby Fields, who was a freshman at South Carolina this past year. Um, I kind of thought when he hit the portal, this was a possibility because I think LSU essentially – you know, hung out a shingle and said, we've got a bunch of spots on our roster. Uh, we're open for portal transfers. And uh, a lot of Louisiana kids from around the country went home from Penn State, from Arkansas, Fields from the Gamecocks. Uh, I always knew Fields Fields was going to be good. I mean, we, we talked about why won't they take another linebacker, this, that, and the other. Well, part of it's they like the young players, the, the guys that didn't play last year. One was Fields. Uh, one was Bam Martin Scott, who's still with the program. Uh, they got Stone Blanton coming in. So, Devin Devonovan Westmoreland is already in. So, you know, they like those guys. And, and, and obviously, I think for LSU to take him, um, it means there's something about him that they like. And, and when the Gamecocks landed him, uh, I think they flipped him from Memphis. Everybody, everybody thought, man, this, is, this guy's a steal. This guy's a steal. Uh, he was 6'1", 205 when he got to Carolina. He's up to 220 now. And, you know, just wish him the best. I mean, look, for Louisiana players, okay, it is their most, by and large, most of them have a dream of running out of that tunnel on Saturday night in Baton Rouge. You know, LA, there is no Clemson in Louisiana. It's all LSU. There's a two-lane, and obviously they're – uh, not as popular as they once were or not as, you know, good as they once were when they were in the SEC. And, you know, they're kind of in the American now and have a proud program, but it's not LSU. And so the lure of that is always going to be strong uh, with Louisiana players. And I think in general, too, you got to watch the portal uh, with these types of guys. Like you go, you know, ways away and let's say – you know, like an, like an LSU, they they um, miss on a guy or, or that guy's just below their offer board and they didn't know how good he was going to be, that kind of thing. You got to watch those guys going back. You know, the further 
away from your campus you get and the better the home team is, I mean, look out. And that's just not at South Carolina. That's that's everywhere. And the Gamecocks have been spreading out the base. Now, look, you know, these some of these guys from the Northeast, that kind of thing, yeah, that's different because they have consciously chosen to come south for college or whatever. But, you know, your Colby Fields types of situations where you go in and, you know, sneak a guy, even guys in Alabama, you know, you're going to stick a guy out, really good player, you know, tied has a – you know, a, a need at the position or Auburn. And uh, it could happen because those kids like to stay at home. So, you know, not just, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this, this is not a problem unique for Shane Beamer and his staff. I mean, it's going to be a problem everywhere. Uh, and you got to kind of look out for it when it comes to two out of state guys uh, and all that. And, you know, I think South Carolina at some point will benefit uh, from, from some of that too. Uh, you know, and not so much in-state with, with the, the portal guys, but uh, you, you do have a guy in Lavoisier Carroll whose first love was the Gamecocks. Uh, you have a couple of kids out of North Carolina that went to NC State and Wake that the staff didn't do much with, so maybe they were interested at some point. Um, I know Antoine Wells would have probably been under, interested. In he went to James Madison. But, uh, you know, that, that that's just one thing to watch. You know, with that, and uh, you know, wish Colby feels the best at LSU. I think, uh, I think that's telling that Clayton White and his staff were able to kind of evaluate this guy, and and you know, now he's got that kind of opportunity. You don't want to lose him. I mean, it'd be better if they didn't. But uh, <laughs> there you go. Basketball tonight at the Colonial Life Arena. John Rothstein, man. You know, I enjoy following John on Twitter because. He gets up every morning. He breathes college basketball. He's tweeting about it all day. He's doing shows. He's writing, you know, CBS Sports, CBS Sports Network. He's on TV. You know, nobody really out there in college basketball, college basketball coverage works, I think, as hard or at least appears to be working as hard. You know, maybe he schedules his tweets and really, you know, doesn't work that hard. I don't know. Uh, but he's got good stuff. And, you know, he's always tweeting about Frank Martin, uh, I guess it's incapable of submission. Uh, and he pointed out Frank is three and two against Kentucky at the Colonial Life Arena in his 10 year career at South Carolina. The game has won four of six against UK at the Colonial Life Arena. Um, I, I was not aware of, of that record. I, and I guess it's right. I just, I've never had a chance to compile it. And of course, South Carolina beat the Wildcats um, two years ago on Jermaine Cousinard's uh, big-time shot at the end of the game uh, to win it. And, you know, South Carolina thinks what a 12-point underdog tonight on their home court. I, I are 11 and a half. Probably should be a little higher than that, in my opinion. But uh, Kentucky's been on a roll. Mike Morgan, my co-host for the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, had a Kentucky game or had some recently. Uh, his wife lives in Lexington and is a Wildcat fan. So he watches, probably watches a lot of more Kentucky basketball than I do. Uh, in his opinion, and I trust him with hoops and, and really everything, but but hoops, he gets a, a closer look than than maybe I do or anybody else. Uh, he said this Kentucky team is different. It, it's different than the uh, the ones that have maybe had a lot of talent but underachieved. It's especially different than last year because they had a losing record. <laughs> For some reason, you know, pandemic was really not kind to Duke, North Carolina, or Kentucky last season. But uh, 
man, you know, this year they're really on a roll. Carolina is not. Two double-digit losses, the loss to Tennessee. Uh, is this, you know, a do-or-die situation for this team? Not necessarily, but, you know, it, the more they lose, the more it's going to be a complete miracle if they get to the NCAA tournament. I mean, you're, you're talking – you lose this one, that's seven conference losses, and you, you do have to go to Auburn, number one team in the country, at the end of the year. So that's probably eight. You know, the rest of them, you know, can't, can't, can South Carolina win? Yeah. Will they? Probably not. Um, and so it's, it's one where if you can pull off the upset, you know, you're, you're back. I'm not going to say you're cooking with grease, but you're cooking with something better than, you know, trying to rub two sticks together. Uh, in a cold night with rain <laughs> at the fire, at the campfire. Um, and we're going to talk a little in depth about the overall basketball situation and the analysis uh, portion of it. But, you know, Carolina can pull an upset, another upset of Kentucky. That's a big win. It's going to boost the net. And then you got Ole Miss and Georgia on the road, uh, winnable games, you know, and, and if you can get three, you know, that kind of changes things and changes the outlook. But uh, right now, the outlook's not good. And honestly, that loss uh, Saturday, second half, was, was bad. I mean, you know, you you play them tough. You know, you ha- you didn't – Carolina didn't even play all that well in the first half. Still, they're down, down only four. Then adversity hits. And, and, you know, instead of getting up off the mat like they've done against – in some of the games they've won, like A&M and – on the road or Georgia or Vandy, you know, they just, they kind of hung their head. Frank Martin even said it, this loss kind of feels different. And I felt that way too. Embarrassing on CBS too. That's national TV. That's the network that carries the big dance. You got the spotlight and and shout out to the Gamecock crowd that was there. Um, You know, that's one of the best crowd on TV. I have to judge everything as to how it sounds on TV. Sounded great. You know, you guys showed up. So, uh, just a disappointing loss uh, for this. It seems better than that, you know, but they're just so inconsistent, so inconsistent. And, you know, to win tonight, Eric Stevenson is going to have to be hot from the outside. Uh, James Reese is going to have to be hot from the outside. Uh, the post, uh, the interior, uh, the bigs, if you will, Wildens, Levesque, A.J. Wilson, all these guys are going to have to just play a lot better than they've been playing. And then – you know, Cousinard's got to be on, and Keyshawn Bryant's got to play under control. You know, Keyshawn Bryant does nobody any good uh, except for the occasional dunk uh, where everybody goes, wow, when he's out there at the top of the key dribbling and firing a fadeaway jumper or dribbling it off his leg or his foot uh, or, or dribbling with his head down. I mean, it, it's just – it's maddening to watch him because – I thought, and a lot of us thought, at the end of 2020, right before the pandemic canceled the rest of the season, Keyshawn was playing like within himself. You know, he was getting rebounds, going back up, uh, you know, not trying to dribble around and play, pretend like he's Michael Jordan. Um, and if you look at his performance then, you know, he played pretty good. I, I thought he had a pretty good year last year. You know, this year – you know, I don't. I don't know if it was because of the early suspension or if he if it's gotten in his head that he has to do more, you know, to get to the next level. 
I, I don't know. I don't know what the issue is. I know Cousinard's had some personal things he's going through, and that's probably affected him. Um, you know, Devin Carter's got to play well. You know, when he's out there scoring and making things happen, you know, that helps Carolina. You know, that, that really does. Really good freshman, Devin Carter. Can't say enough about him. You know, so the point of all that, that was a Captain Obvious sort of statement there, is everybody's got to bring it tonight to beat Kentucky. Uh, tip off 7 p.m. I believe it's on ESPN, uh, the big the big network. So you've got two showcase games. Be good if you don't get blown out, um, and all that good stuff. So uh, football staff is off right now. They're uh, only a lot of them are on vacation. They're trickling their way back in. Uh, junior day is coming up. I, I'll say this: I put in a crystal ball prediction on Monday for. Uh, Dorman, 2023 offensive tackle, Marquis Anderson. Uh, I believe, based on what I was told right now on February 8th, it's a South Carolina-North Carolina battle. I'm certainly not ready to to uh, take Clemson out of it. Be, I think it would be foolish. Uh, Hale McGranahan, who put in his crystal ball for Anderson to Carolina today, also said it. But I think right now it's South Carolina 1, North Carolina 2. And so um, – you know, North Carolina does have a history at Dorman. They 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 signed Ryan Sims out of Dorman, and you know some other upstate guys. Storm Duck from Bowling Springs is on the roster now. I remember when they got Quinshaw Davis from Gaffney. Uh, UNC, you know, they've done some done some work in Spartanburg and Cherokee County over the years, and so so we'll see sort of what happens there. But uh, I, uh, I I feel good about Marky Anderson. Uh, you go to the twenty twenty four class. I put in a crystal ball from Cam Pringle from Woodland. Already had one from Josiah Thompson from Dillon. And also 2024 quarterback Jaden Bradford from Chapin. Um, may not be at Chapin next year. Maybe at IMG. That's the big rumor. I have not confirmed that. But uh, I know Gamecock fans hear IMG, and they're like, oh, my God. You know, no, I uh, I think the family connections there are going to be too strong. Uh, so I got a crystal ball in from from him as well. Th- those could be the top three players in the state for 2024. Uh, so, folks, you you look down the road and it's turning, you know, it, it, it's turning in a positive direction for the Gamecocks. I don't I don't want to sit here and say it's turning in the Gamecocks' favor against Clemson or Georgia or anything like that because you know, Carolina's got to compete on the field in in that rivalry game with Clemson before you can say that. In, in this past year was not competitive yet again. It was the same game we've watched <laughs> 2017, 2019, you know, same game. And, uh, you know, at some point you, you, you got to bring a, you can't keep bringing a knife to a gunfight with them. You got to go get players. And uh, will South Carolina have the players this year to compete in death Valley? Uh, I like the players they've gotten. We'll just kind of have to see how it works out. Uh, with Spencer Rattler and Wells and Stockner and, you know, all those guys, plus guys coming back like, you know, uh, Josh Van, Jaheim Bell, Marshawn Lloyd. I mean, you've got a lot of players, you know, in terms of options. You know, there's just ifs, you know, if Lloyd can, you know, get out there, take the bull by the horns and be the number one back. If, if Bell is used properly, you know, if, Rattler and Satterfield are on the same page of the offense, you know, all that good stuff. And so, you know, when that Clemson game, you know, if those things aren't going well by next November, 
uh, you know, it, it's probably going to be another disappointing loss. Uh, all right. So analysis segment brought to you by Cindy Sear Foss, Caldwell Banker, Kane, Realtor, Real Estate Markets Crazy, folks. Uh, Cindy is married to a diehard Gamecock fan. Speaking of crazy, I think we're all crazy, right? All, all of us Gamecock fans. Uh, she's been in the upstate for over 35 years and would love to help you out with your real estate needs. Contact Cindy, 864-414-5271. Email her, csearfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at C-B-C-A-I-N-E C-B-C-A-I-N-E dot com. Right there in my hometown of Sparkle City, Spartanburg, South Carolina, Daniel Morgan Avenue. Uh, like I said, real estate market is nuts. She's helped out a lot of you out there. Uh, please tell her that uh, JC Center sent you to her. Uh, again, Cindy Serfoss, 864-414-5271. Uh, Big time realtor, upstate of South Carolina, covers Sparber, Greenville, Cherokee, whatever you need. Uh, and a proud sponsor of the Inside the Game Cops podcast. So, so you know, there's two things here. First thing I want to talk about is, is Satterfield and the offense because, you know, I, I, I kind of put myself on a, a critical moratorium. Uh, and, and this subject rears its ugly head because – you know, you had two former Gamecock quarterbacks walk out the door and people just assume it's because of that, and you know, Satterfield or whatever because of the talk. And, you know, I I would be calling Eric Kimry and Connor Shaw liars uh, if I, uh, you know, if I sat there and said, oh, it's all about Satterfield. You know, were things hunky-dory in the offensive room this year? No. I'd be lying if I told you that too. Were there some differences of opinion? Absolutely. Uh, with the differences of opinion, uh, who did I side with? Not Marcus Satterfield. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I'll be honest with you there, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to sit there and, and, and hammer this. I mean, the, the, the decision's been made. The last game on offense, and, and I, I don't want to hear any more about how bad North Carolina's defense is. I know they weren't great, but, you know, Clemson's offense wasn't good, and they scored 30 against the game, mighty game guys' defense. So you have to show up and play. Uh, and that North Carolina defense does have a lot of guys that uh, if they develop the right way, will play in the NFL. And so, you know, I, 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 I'll take it. And I'm not you, you know. I, I'm not using that as justification, saying, "Oh, look, Marcus Satterfield has arrived. This great play caller, uh, you know, genius, whatever. You know, great job using Joiner quarterback." Which all of that's true. I mean, it was a great stroke of genius to use Joiner quarterback. Um, I'm not ready. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, just because you share the opinion that there was something wrong with the OC. Um, dude, just got a little text there. That's interesting. Just because you think there's something wrong with the OC, that, that we should all just downplay that North Carolina game because that was an important win. Uh, and I'll remind everybody, even with all that, you know, North Carolina not being good on defense, South Carolina was a 12-point underdog. Just like they were twenty point underdog to Florida, um, so I'm not going to downplay that win. And I think everybody, including Sat, deserves they deserve credit. But you know, 
my primary interest in this is where do they go from here, obviously, because spring practice is coming up. You've got Spencer Rattler in. You've got a whole lot different situation at quarterback than you did last year. And, and that seems to be the blame where the blame has lied. Uh, I, I don't agree with, with the people that trashed Jason Brown because the Clemson game was bad, because the game plan was bad, and the defense got gashed. I don't know how you can hang that on Jason Brown. I don't know how you can hang the Missouri loss on Jason Brown. When, when some of the plays he made downfield, uh, spinning out of the pocket, fired it down to Van Verta, he kept them in the game. I mean, I had a college coach tell me he's kept them in the game, and I believe him. So, so I don't care what anybody says about Brown. Uh, I think he should have been playing over Zeb Nolan. I think, I think that's a situation where – you ended up putting a guy that is not ideal athletically behind a bad offensive line who who, who can't move uh, just because he allegedly, you know, knows your system. I mean, that's dumb. You know, even Steve Spurrier, he's one of the ultimate system coaches whose system above everything. I mean, look at how many five-star quarterbacks didn't make it under Spurrier and how many, how many guys that were kind of lower rated did. There's a reason for that because the higher rated guys couldn't grasp his system. Well, Steve Spurrier is not on staff at South Carolina, right? Uh, you know, I don't think for that system where you're trying to kind of be an NFL team that that, that you 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 can go uh, cement shoes. And this is and look, I, Zeb Nolan, man, more South Carolina season would not have turned out like it did had it not been for him. So give him credit. He won the East Carolina game. He won the Dagum Vandy game, obviously. Give him credit. But those were games the Gamecocks got protection. And then the ECU game, they finally figured out they could run it to the outside. And 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 away they went. Um so uh this is not a shot at Zeb Nolan at all. You know, uh, give him a medal. Uh, but, you know, then you're playing Luke Doty on a broken foot. <laughs> Again, because Doty, oh, knows the system better than, than – and that, that, that was sort of a disaster, guys. I mean, poor Doty, you know, the, the Kentucky game, you had one good drive, and then you reverted to other calls. You couldn't run the ball. You know, the, the Troy game, thank God for defensive touchdowns and the run game at the end. The Mandy game, he stays in that game. Carolina loses. Um, yeah, I did some. I thought he played well against Georgia, but uh, that's about it. I mean, you know, and, and it, that's not on Luke Doty, he was hurt. Luke Doty's had a very tumultuous couple of years with the receiver thing, the pandemic, thrown to the wolves with two and a half games to go. You come in this year, it's a much more complicated situation, learning wise, uh, and you know, he breaks his foot, so that takes away his mobility, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, so where was Jason Brown? You know, Jason Brown comes in, the team kind of rallies behind him. Uh, they beat Florida, they beat Auburn. I don't think Missouri was his fault. Uh, was was Clemson on Jason Brown? If there would have been a better quarterback? They've done some different things, probably, but it would have taken a hell of a quarterback, folks. You know, like so, like a Spencer Rattler type. You know, Rattler, the thing with them, with Clemson, the teams that give them trouble have either a 
uh, with that defense, a sophisticated quarterback run game like App State, or not App State, well, it's Louisville, but the App State system, uh, Louisville kind of went up and down the field on them. Or they have the ability to go vertical down the field, okay? Uh, and, and South Carolina couldn't do that for a number. I mean, Josh Van was hurt. So, I mean, there's just a lot going on there that, that, that did not allow him to play well. But he's in Virginia Tech now, wishing the best. Uh, but, but I'm just not a fan in college because successful college coaches don't do this of whoever runs the, the system the best gets the job when you don't have a good system, a proven system, or when you're trying to do too much or whatever. Um, you know, and, and when I say do too much, I do understand they scaled the playbook back. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm talking about the week to week changes and shuffling and, and nuance and, and the little things and the, the, the cadence and checks of the line of scrimmage. I mean, you know, that's a pro style system, right? But, well, why you're in college football, why make it that complicated? Just let your players go play, you know, especially if you're in a situation where confusion and things like that are hurting you. So that was my point about Satterfield the whole year. Thought they did a better job down the stretch. Uh, and, and then you watch, you know, two of the best weekends in the history of the NFL playoffs with a lot of exciting offensive plays. You go, man, you know, South Carolina has a quarterback. What's going to happen this year? You know, is that going to make this offense look more like this? Well, well, the answer is if you, if you try to throw a bunch of BS at Spencer Rattler, my opinion is no. You know, if you sit there and, you know, focus on him doing in 2022 what he's going to do in 2023 for an NFL franchise, you know, the answer is no. This is a – and I said this during Muschamp's era too. This is a college football program in the SEC. This is not an NFL training uh, facility, <laughs> you know. And, and I thought uh, – I, I think that kind of stuff culturally uh, has been quickly – fixed within the program. Uh, I think these guys play as a team. They love each other. It's, it, it's, it's a good culture, but, you know, execution wise, when, when you're, when you sacrifice, you know, the ability to go do things in games with, you know, Oh, we got to get you ready for this. I mean, I, I, my point is, I think you can accomplish both. Um, but if they can find a sweet spot, you know, with Satterfield and uh, with Rattler, uh, I'll tell you what I like and what I know. Uh, I know this about Marcus Satterfield. He loves to throw it vertically. I mean, there hasn't been an offensive uh, coordinator in South Carolina calling plays since Spurrier that loves throwing it deep more than Marcus Satterfield. They just couldn't do it last year a lot of times. Um, but he loves it. And Spencer Rattler, you know, that, like I said, how do you beat Clemson with Brent Venables? Uh, and I know Venables at Oklahoma now, but, you know, Carolina's going to have to worry about Oklahoma when they get in the SEC. Uh, and I don't think Clemson's scheme is going to change too much. You throw it over the top. The, the first thing the, the first thing that hurts them is mobile quarterbacks. The second thing is when you have a passing game that you can go over the top with, uh, like LSU in the championship game. Uh, Pitt did a good job of that in their game this year, along with the run game. You have to back them off somehow. You know, Jake Bentley in 2018 did a good job. Debo Samuel did a good job of that up at Death Valley. Um, and, and Rattler is capable of making those throws in a big way. 
uh, let's not kid ourselves. So, so that's a fit. Uh, are you going to have a, some guys that are able to get open deep besides Van? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Amarian Brown certainly is fast. Uh, I mentioned Antoine Wells. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that Xavier Leggett and Omega Blake are kind of, I don't know, uh, X factors, no pun intended, with, with, with Leggett. Leggett, you know, missed all of 2020 and all the spring and then got hurt again in a car wreck in, in the fall. And I thought – sort of down the stretch this past year, he made a couple of really tough catches. Uh, and then he also made a catch uh, to win the game against Vandy. So uh, I'm interested to see what happens with him, with Justin Stepp having a full spring with him. Uh, I thought of Marion Brown had a good bowl game. Like I said, I love Antoine Wells. I mean, 6-1-2-0-4, lightning fast stop starts. I mean, you know, uh, do yourself a favor if you find uh, some workout clips of him. It's good. So – you know, when, when you look at it, they should have the ability to be better in that department. So, you know, when, when teams try to load up and stop the run, you know, you go over the top, that backs them off. That'll probably help. Um, you know, personnel usage got better down the stretch. I, I thought, you know, Jaheim Bell, uh, according to PFF, and who knows if it's accurate or not, he he only played 46% of his snaps unattached. So the line, that number probably needs to be about 70-75 because he's too good to just have him block, you know, I think, and, and play a traditional tight end spot. You know, he, he needs to be used – like Kyle Pitts was used at Florida, like Jalen Samuels was used at NC State, like uh, Debo Samuel was used for the 49ers, if you want some NFL. Uh, there's no planet where, you know, you need him blocking all the time. Uh, maybe lead blocker, maybe some plays here and there, uh, but there's no planet uh, where, where, where that needs to happen, you know, if you have to throw the football. Uh, E.J. Jenkins is an interesting case study. Will he stay at receiver? Will he go back to tight end? You know, I, I thought E.J., you know, what, he, he's good for about one catch a game, it seemed. But if you look at the games, Carolina was able to run the ball real well, especially the bowl game, Florida game, Auburn game. E.J. was blocking his butt off out there. And, and, and at that size, it's good. So you kind of – so there's a blocker, you know. <laughs> uh, EJ is also not an X receiver, not an outside guy. He's an inside guy uh, that needs to be going across the middle, that type of thing. Um, that's what he's best at talent-wise. So we'll see sort of what happens uh, with him. And you also got Trey Kenyon, and they're going to probably need to find some walk-ons or, you know, maybe Trey Jones can play a little tight end since he's a fullback or something like that uh, depth-wise. Uh, you know, so so that that's kind of, you know, where they're at. And, and, and you know, the other thing when you when we watch some of these NFL teams that do use the tight end, that do use guys in, in in a lot of versatile roles, like they did Debo. You know, South Carolina's got that kind of personnel. Uh, the issue is going to be kind of in the guts of the offense. Uh, how complicated are you really going to make it? How, how many are you? How many times next season uh, are you trying to outsmart? the other coaches and your players just don't know what the hell to do. You know, and, and look, there is something to be said since this is the narrative coming out of the program. And you know, I'm not, not calling them liars. They're there every day. 
that, oh, you, you know, three quarterbacks and all that, that just, he just didn't have a chance. That doesn't explain anything about why all of a sudden the O-line was blocking air at times and, and all that. But, you know, if you don't have a quarterback and, and the other team kind of senses it, you know, and they stack it up and, you know, kind of fool you on defense and you can't throw it, you know, that is a problem. And that hurts the run game just as much as it hurts the pass game. So, you know, I'm going to choose to say, okay, quarterback situation last year was bad. Uh, You know, it's not going to be this year. There's no excuses this year. So away you go. And uh, and we'll see what happens. But I I think, you know, and I I told you one thing I like about Satterfield, he does like to throw the deep ball. A lot of you out there – think that college football offenses don't exist unless they get through the deep ball. Uh, I like all kinds of offenses, but I like a good deep ball too. That, that gets people going like it did in the bowl game. Remember? Uh, so I like that about him. You know, I, I thought that the trick play back to back wildcat trick play call at Tennessee was egregious in that situation. Egregiously bad. That was probably, you know, the day I would have made a change. Um, just because against a team like that, you, you got to think, you know, look, they go, they are going up and down the field. Uh, they have, you know, shell-shocked our defense with their tempo. Well, just like with North Carolina, how do you stop that? You know, you use your offense. You know, South Carolina had 40 minutes time of possession to 20 for the heels in the bowl game, you know, and, and they're kind of a similar air raid esque tempo deal uh, as Tennessee. Um, so, you know, that's how you do it. So, you know, it's 14 nothing. You're running it up there behunk us, finally. First time all year you've been able to run the ball, even against, you know, with the exception of Eastern Illinois. I mean, ECU stacked you up. Uh, you know, Georgia certainly did. Kentucky certainly did. You know, you, the Vols were not a juggernaut on defense. Uh, you're at the two-yard line. You put in Joyner, who at the time was just keeping it every single time. And uh, he runs wide into a bunch of people where if he'd have given it to Lloyd, Lloyd scores. Uh, and then uh, there was the, the infamous Jordan Birch pass call. Now, let, let, let me go back. As far as – the the timing of it, I thought it was egregiously bad and an unnecessary gamble. Now the mentality of it, love it, love it. You know, I, I that's one thing I liked about Satterfield is in game he, he was not afraid to pull out a trick play, <laughs> not afraid to mix it up. In the same way in the uh, in the bowl. Um with how he kind of did the the the, the Joiner and, and Nolan thing, uh, so that's good. Those are positive things. I think I think you, fans like that. You know, and this is a school where Steve Spurrier coached, and obviously Marcus Satterfield's uh, ability to dial them up is nowhere close to Spurrier. Uh, but that's a similar mentality: throw it deep, uh, creative plays. Uh, that type of thing. Uh, 
the difference is in the, is the down to down calling, which, you know, there's not many coaches out there can touch that. Uh, but you know, Satterfield's not even close. Um, can he be most of the time it's either got it or you don't, but, uh, there are some things I like about him. Uh, I also think that if you can fix the way you teach it and your kids can understand it, uh, having a modern pro-style offense is not a bad thing. I mean, what are people doing now on offense that's popular? RPOs are very popular. Uh, you know, every, anything from the Bryles tree uh, is popular and uh, effective. And then you have your Lincoln Riley offenses and, and all that. But, uh, you know, pros, uh, something like the Chiefs run, you know, which, which has a lot of air raid and different concepts combined. And yeah, sure. It's a good system, especially if you have players. So so we'll see what happens. But, but I wanted to bring that up because, I, you know, everybody's so negative about the guy. I've been negative about the guy. I stand by all my criticism because it is what it is until it ends. And so we're going to have to wait until the Georgia State game in September to to figure all this out. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, is there a concern because the word about Rattler was he couldn't read defenses that they're going to put too much on him in that department? Just because you know that's kind of been the mo. Oh, you're going to do that. You know, yeah, in the back of your mind, but you know, they, they can't waste Rattler. You know, you, you've got to scale it. Uh, to where he can do it. And, and I think he can. I mean, you know, I, I think the reading of the defense thing was kind of a, you know, observation by some people. Uh, and obviously he got beat out. But, you know, you have to be able to read defenses to to play quarterback even in college. It's not – you know, it has nothing to do with running the NFL offense. But I just certainly wouldn't make it overly complex if I were the Gamecock staff because that got you beat last year. So that's that's what I want to say because there are some things fundamentally about Satterfield that I I've liked even last year and and, and the first one is you know he he's got some uh, he's got some guts you know he dialed up the the pass to Trey Jones against Auburn that was, that was great I thought you know um, loves to throw it inside the ten that's kind of a Spurrier esque thing uh, sometimes I wish. I wish he would run it, but, uh, you know, that's why Zeb Nolan had, what, seven touchdowns and only one pick because he threw a lot of, you know, red zone touchdowns, especially early. I think he had four against Eastern Illinois. Um, Luke Doty threw a touchdown pass down there. You know, I don't, and I don't know, you know, so maybe it's, yeah, you know, something he likes to do, and, and that's kind of creative, you know, and, and I think um, – you know, the the trick plays and, and, and using them, uh, I like. I just didn't really like uh, what happened at Tennessee because I, I think in in that situation, it's line up, hand the ball to Kevin Harris, score a touchdown, and then get a stop. Pray, pray that you get the momentum, you know, and, and get a stop. And then maybe you go down and you're at the eight and you do that. Not so close. Uh, but hindsight's twenty twenty. So that's Mark Satterfield. So I, I just wanted to say that because I wanted to say I, I wanted to kind of circle back on it and say some positive things and and, and tell you like 
it's not all awful. I, uh, I, you know, again, it's not the decision I would have made, uh, but there is a path uh, to it working, in my opinion. I, I think there are some concerns, but, uh, you know, there is a path there, and there are some things, you know, the, about him that if if the offense works, you know, and, and all that, that, that I think could be fun uh, for this offense. Uh, but we're a long way off from calling the offense fun. So there we go. Um, the second part of this is. All right, so that's enough about the OC. Basketball, uh, you know, game tonight, like I said, big one, a big opportunity for a huge upset. Uh, like I said, long it's a long shot. You know, I, I, I you guys know I've uh, I've stood up for Frank Martin a lot, and I'll continue to do so because I like him. Uh, I like him as a person. Uh, I think he's a hell of a basketball coach. Uh, I think this job is bad, and has been since he took over. Uh, but I think he's also treading water and everybody involved just like last year could use a, a fresh start uh, if they don't have a, a miraculous turnaround to make the NCAA tournament. Cause it, it just sort of is what it is. I mean, this is a, a middling program right now. So, so it's been 10 years. You've had one year of glory. One year you got screwed out of a tournament bid. Uh, a few years you've got screwed out of the NIT because of the stupid rule where the mid-major regular season champs get in. and So it's not like Dave Odom who can go 15 and 15 and get in the NIT. But, you know, it, 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 he doesn't seem happy uh, with the support. There's a lot of supporters not happy with him. So, so, so let's just say, all right, that it, it could, it could, it could be over. So what direction do the Gamecocks go? And that's something that for the mailbag, and you can get in the mailbag by sending an email to inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Don't tweet this if you if you usually get in the mailbag by twi- Twitter. Uh, I just don't want it out on Twitter because there's a lot of knuckleheads on Twitter, and I don't want them to interpret it as oh JC Sherbert said Frank's out. Um, and I'm because I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is let's start having a discussion about the future, you know, especially, you know, if things, if things go well tonight and the Gamecocks beat Kentucky for the fifth time in seven games at, at Colonial Life Arena, uh, cause there's, there's a Darren Horn win back there too. Um, then yeah, let's, uh, let's not talk about it, <laughs> but, uh, you know, right now after last Saturday, that that loss, John Whittle had a great piece on the Bigspur.com. It just felt differently, and it did. Um, so let's talk about what what you need. I mean, th- this program has a lot of needs. Uh, some of them are administrative. You know, there needs to quit being nationally televised games where, you know, it, it, and look, Tennessee game was not that bad. I thought. I thought it seemed like a good atmosphere. Uh, but there needs to be games on TV where, you know, there's like a bunch of garnet seats. Uh, and then you got the diehards in the upper deck. That's not fair. Because um, they get 10000 a game. I mean, you know, there needs to be some those, – those things that I gripe about all the time with basketball needs to get done. They need to invest in basketball facilities. 
you know, like they are in football, um, you know, like they did in baseball. I mean, you know, I, I think the Carolina Coliseum has, you know, they've sunk money into it, but I, they need a Taj Mahal. I mean, you've got a, a, a one of the best women's programs in the country, if not the best. Uh, they deserve a Taj Mahal. I think if you want to be competitive in the men's sport, you need to do well. Uh, you need to solve the riddle of in-state recruiting. I don't know who's going to do that. Uh, I think it, it, with most candidates, it's going to be a wing and a prayer because there's a lot of crap that goes on uh, in that on that end of things when it comes to that sport. I think you need to have somebody who'll get the fan base excited. So what I just mentioned was you know an administrative thing, uh, one type of coach in one end, uh, one type of coach in another. Because you know the guy that's going to solve the in-state recruiting isn't necessarily the guy that's going to be the big name and get everybody excited if you kind of look at who's out there. Uh, so we'll see kind of the, the direction that Ray Tanner uh, and Chance Miller and those guys go uh, if there is a change. But, when, you know, what I would like to do, those of you that care about men's basketball in South Carolina, um, and there are some of you that listen to this podcast, send me an email inside the gamecast at gmail.com and tell me if this is the end for Frank Martin, the Frank Martin decade, you know, who's the guy that's going to take it to the next level? Who's going to take the program from being – uh, 16 to 18 wins a year, 16 to 19. Uh, and then two years out of the 10 cycling way up, 20 plus. Uh, who's going to be the guy that, that does that and raises the level from where Frank has it now? And look, here's the bottom line too. You know, unlike, you know, well, I'll go back. When Eddie Fogler left, he left a 15 and 15 NIT team. You know, and then Odom, Mr. NIT, took over the next year and went all the way to the the finals of that tournament with this, virtually the same team, plus Carlos Powell. Uh, Frank inherited a bad, bad situation from Darren Horn. Um, Odom left Odom left a, an NIT team here uh, for Horn. Uh, but Frank, Frank inherited uh, an Eddie Fogler-type situation, and he happened to do it at the same time, baseball was winning national championships. Football was rolling. Women's basketball was about to come on and become a power. Bad timing because you, you had had like six years where the men's basketball program just did nothing. Didn't, didn't you know, between Horn's first year and Horn's fourth year and those first two years, which were awful under Frank, that's six years. Uh, while at the same time, uh, the rest of the athletic programs are starting to roll or rolling. It's all those kids on campus during that time, all people around Columbia, they're going to do other things. You know, so so what's gonna what's gonna shake things up? You know, what's 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 gonna check? I don't think there's a coach that's gonna check all the boxes. So, so what do you want? What do you think the key is? And I'm asking you, I, I don't, you know, I'll have some thoughts about it, but uh I want to get y'all's opinion because I honestly, you know, I look at all the boxes that need to be checked and I'm like, well, who you know, who are you gonna you can't go get Roy Williams out of retirement, right? You know, it's, <laughs> old Roy wanting to coach again. That may not happen. So, so who do you get to make everybody happy and excited? I mean, I I don't know. Or, um, and then who can do the things that need to be done? Um, and then the bottom line too, you know. And, and look, man, I, like I said, I, I think for everybody involved, it's probably time to move on after a decade. But the bottom line is, you know, and I think you can throw last year away because 
last year was just bad, but Kentucky was also bad. Duke, North Carolina. I mean, there, there were a lot of programs that, that suffered through last season. Okay. Including blue bloods that were, that should never happen. Uh, so, so I'll give Frank a pass for that. You know, I, I think uh, it's really, you know, now look, he was on his way out. There's no question about that, but uh, I, I don't look at that as to say, well, you know, six and fifteen in in twenty 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 one is unexcusable. Blah blah blah. I, I, I'm throwing that out, right? Uh, I'm looking at it really from his third year on. So seventeen and sixteen, twenty five and nine, you get screwed. Uh, twenty six and eleven, you go to the final four. Seventeen and sixteen, probably should have been the NIT. Sixteen and sixteen, that team got better. 18 and 13, and then this thing's tracking to be 17, 18 wins. So who's going to get it from 16, 17, 18 wins, normal most years, and, and you know, not cycling up every so often, uh, and, and get into that 20 to 23 range? Because you're, you're talking about, you know, who's good for three or four more victories a year on average. Uh, and I don't know that answer right now. So uh, – you know, we'll see what happens. You know, I, I, again, you know, this year's team, it seems it's disappointing because everybody's like NCAA or bust this season. This seems pretty, I mean, it, they're not awful. You know, they're 13 and nine and four and six, and there's a bunch of teams that are four and six in the league. You know, it, it's not a disaster. And it, it's a lot like, you know, every team he's had since the final four, with the exception of last year, which you can throw away. The, the, and I think that's the key argument for change is that they have not capitalized on the final four. They, they dropped back a bit and settled into this very frustrating level of above average mediocrity where, and then there's all the non-conference losses that, that, you know, and stuff like that, that were costly. You probably didn't know it at the time. Uh, and it's all added up. So who is going to be good for four five, six more wins a year with this program? Uh, that's my question. Who's gonna the transfer portal is another thing in college basketball. We think it's a big deal in football, basketball. Good God, I mean, you you, you may have to put together a whole new roster for next season. <laughs> Whoever takes over at South Carolina, so we'll see that. Uh, see what happens there. All right, it's mailbag time, and the mailbag is sponsored by I Help Consulting. My boy Daniel Owens, really really good at his job. And if you're a business owner, you're always looking to save time, money, uh, every penny you can. And that's where I help consulting can help. It's a Gamecock owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. Whether you think you might be paying too much for credit card processing, internet, insurance, or anything else, I help can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And here's the kicker. If I help can't save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. Kicker number two is, they're not like most consultants are going to roll in and be like, hey, pay me all this money because I'm smart. I don't give a flip if I help your business or not. Uh, send you an invoice just for my brain power, my brain power. No, uh, you only pay him a percentage of your first year savings. He saved one business 48 grand annually. So in other words, they pay out the percentage of the 48 grand for the first year. And then you keep that percentage from there on out. So it turns into 96, 144, whatever, you know, quick math there on my part. So that's how Daniel operates at IELP Consulting. Uh, and if he looks at it and you're saving the most money you can, you don't pay him a dime. 
he just uses his time to help you. And the answer is you're saving as much as you can. No cost to you. So call or text Daniel Owens at iHelp, 843-372-5713, 843-372-5713, or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. Yeah, that first initial consultation is free. That number again is 843-372-5713, iHelp Consulting. How can I help you? And um, uh, our boy Daniel there, he uh, – he also sponsors JB and Goldwater segment that I'm on. I appreciate Daniel doing that as well. I always love to support those guys, JB and Goldwater. By the way, JB and Goldwater, I, I want to plug a couple of things here. These are not sponsors, but I'm going to plug it anyway. JB and Goldwater uh, hasn't. They have a new app that's awesome. It's better than their old app. Go to the App Store, Apple, download it today. Uh, really appreciate it. Go rate that app five stars. Uh, that helps expand their audience, and it's a really easy way to listen to that show. Uh, also want to tell you about uh, Flagship Golf. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen Gamecockology, the Twitter account, and the Instagram account or whatever. Same genius that's behind that. I, I do call him a genius because he's one of the best graphics, artist guys, creative guys I know. Uh, Ted Hyman has that, and it is fantastic stuff. If you play golf, they have trucker hats golf towels. As soon as they have a visor, I'm buying one. Uh, and they have all schools, not just the Gamecocks, but the Gamecock stuff special. And, uh, and uh, I just encourage uh, everybody uh, looking for gift ideas, looking for, you know, if you're a female listening to this, you want to get your husband something for Valentine's Day, uh, check that stuff out. All right. So uh, appreciate, uh, appreciate that. And again, neither one of those are paid endorsements. They're just guys I like to help out. All right. C. Hall says, tight end coach hire. JC, I'm not trying to be a negative Nancy or crap on this hire, but seems to be the opposite of do more than with less. Also, Tony mentioned in regards to Alabama's 2017 class uh, and the third number class, the number third number one class they signed. And I quote, Tony says, I'm not saying he was individually responsible for all those classes. But I was told he could spearhead things and played a significant role in helping the staff land that class. Nick Saban is one of the best, if not the best, recruiter of all time. Are you really convinced that Jody Wright had that much to do with it? Don't get me wrong. I'm pulling for the guy. I understand he's just a tight ends coach, but it seemed the other candidates brought more to the table. Would love your thoughts. Um, I think it's two different things. I, you know, I, the job that Jody had uh, or Jody coach, Wright, I don't know him. Again, I don't want to call him. I, I don't want to call him by his first name. Um, the, the job that he had at Alabama, it was the job Taylor Edwards does at South Carolina. Uh, they're not replacing Taylor Edwards, with, nor should they with Jody Wright. Um, and then he went back on the field in the pros with, with some friends of Shane's. Um, so what he did to help Saban with that class uh, is not necessarily go out and convince guys to come to the school. Uh, now, as we've moved forward beyond 2017, these days, like Taylor Edwards is a big part of guys making the decisions now, and, and those departments have evolved. Uh, but what you do there in that job, because I know people that have had it, there's been some great ones that have, um, you, you organize everything. And, and if you're not organized for Nick Saban, you're not going to last. Um, and, and so that that's kind of his job, you know, and, and that's a different gig than 
being on the road, coaching tight ends at South Carolina and being a quote unquote on the field coach. Uh, so if, if I were talking about the positives uh, for right with the job, I, I probably wouldn't even mention that as the selling point that he was at Alabama because, you know, that doesn't, it, it's a different ballgame. South Carolina has an, uh, one of the best in the country in Taylor Edwards that, that, that does that. Uh, what Wright's going to do, he's replacing Kimry. going to be on the road convincing guys to come and that kind of thing. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, his experience there has been at UAB and Jacksonville State. Now the people I've talked to have said he gets it in recruiting. He understands it. He's good at building relationships. Uh, from Alabama, that state uh, for 2023 is loaded. And you see – Issues at Auburn right now. So you, you don't know if South Carolina maybe can get in and, and get some quote unquote low hanging fruit. Uh, and again, if I were comparing resumes and, and stuff like that, I, I, I wouldn't have gone in this direction. Uh, but that's, I don't make $3 million a year plus, it'll probably be plus soon, <laughs> um, to, uh, to make these calls. And I'm not in that building every day. And so I don't, I don't know the dynamics and, and the and the fit and things like that. Uh, now, what I, I you know, and, and quite frankly, I think this was done before the job even opened. Um, and like I said, I've been surprised nobody from the Joe Judge, Freddie Kitching, Sylvester Croom back in the day at Mississippi State staff uh, or other has been on staff at Carolina just because I know Shane Beamer – maintains great relationships with those guys and he's all about relationships and great relationships. So, you know, I, I kind of felt like at some point you'd see somebody from one, it, whether it was Kitchings or Joe judge himself or somebody on their staff, I, I felt like they would be on their way. Uh, and so it ended up being Jody, Wright, And everybody I've talked to says good things. Uh, I haven't seen it, so I can't sit there like I can with a Tim Brewster or Bobby Bentley and tell you I've seen them in action, know exactly what they do and exactly what they can do. I can't tell you that and be honest. Um, but people I trust have told me, and so that's the thing there. But, uh, you know, see, all you're, you're right about, you know, you can't, you know, he it was a different job at Bama than he's going to do at Carolina, and, and, and there's a big difference between – the on the field stuff and off the field stuff. And in Alabama, you're right. You got the Godfather sitting there, you know, I mean, and uh, I don't want to say Nick Saban is the Godfather of recruiting. Cause I always give that shout out to Philip Fulmer. Uh, Cause he kind of started it all, but Saban is a great elite recruiter, elite and not just convincing guys to come and selling his school. The evaluations are unbelievable. Uh, you've seen the stats. Alabama's five stars get drafted in the first round 48% of the time. Everybody else is down around 18. <laughs> so, so that's why I always correct people when they're like, they, they, they'll throw Georgia and, ba- and Ohio State and Clemson uh, in there with Bama. Well, you, you're not going to catch them. You've got to recruit. But nobody's really looking at it and using those stats. They're just seeing the, the star ratings on signing day or whatever. Uh Alabama's in a different category. Now, they don't win it every year. I think they had some unfortunate injuries in the playoff this year. And I'm not saying they would have beaten Georgia the second. It's hard to beat a team twice, twice in a row like that, or two out of three like that. But 
you know, that they do it differently. And that's why they're able to sustain. You know, that's that's why you, you don't see Bama. You rarely, you've had two years, Bama's slipped to the Citrus Bowl. You know, one year they slipped to the Sugar Bowl back in, what was it, 2000? Was it 13? Yeah, it was the kick six year. They went to the Sugar Bowl, lost to Oklahoma. Other than that, they're in the playoff or the title game or whatever. That kind of consistency doesn't happen. It doesn't happen at Clemson. It doesn't happen at Oklahoma, Ohio State, none of those schools. And so it's Bama and everybody else. And so you're absolutely right about Nick Saban. And, and, and you know, you, nobody should just assume, you know, that, that you know, somebody off the field had a lot to do with it, you know, if that makes any sense. Um, but I don't think you're being negative. And, and I, I do think that from the outside and the surface, when you look at it, yeah, I mean, it, you, you kind of go, well, what, if this was a choice, uh, why was this made? But there's two things. Number one, we don't have all the details as to why Beamer picked Jody Wright, other than you can kind of trace his, you know, he was with Beamer at Mississippi State and all that, got a good rep. Uh, that's number one, but then, but then number two, you know, Kimry was talking about this job for a while, you know, to Beamer and behind the scenes and all that. I mean, this has been going on for a while. So Beamer probably knew and it probably, it may have just been done, you know, because I can tell you the timeline. I heard Jody Wright's name an hour later, Brewster get tries to get in the mix you know that 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 so this may have already been done. You know, so that's that's the deal there. So thanks though for your 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 call there, Darian. Is South Carolina keeping up on the NIL side of things? From the looks of it, it looks to me like we're trying to do everything by the book, the way the rules were meant to be used with uh, Garnet Trust and players' personal brands. My fear is that other programs are not going by the book, such as Miami or Texas with their deals, and who knows what teams like Georgia and Alabama have done in terms of NIL to get an edge. All in all, I'm not seeing really big money in ideal NIL deals getting done in South Carolina. I'm worried we'll fall behind like we once did with facilities. I think this is a fair point, but I'll, I'll tell you this right now. I don't think South Carolina's falling behind. And, and look, there's going to be more than Garnet Trust. Garnet Trust has nothing to do – First of all, none of this has anything to do with the university. The university can't do anything with it. Like they have an office that guides the process, but they don't, you know, what you see at Texas or wherever or Miami, those are outside people. And so I tell Carolina fans all the time, it's up to you what kind of NIL program South Carolina has. Uh, those of you with money, a little money, a lot of money, uh, Garnet Trust is Gamecock Central. Uh Folks give them money uh, to give to players to produce content for Gamecock Central or, or for their branded stuff. Um, if I got involved with an NIL thing, hypothetically, I'd probably do a little different. It'd probably be a little more like promotional, you know, for my podcast and stuff I do and stuff my friends do and, and all that. Because I think a lot of sometimes that, that content stuff takes up a lot of time and we have our own content, you know, and, uh, you know, there's not a lot of value for me in that. I'd rather just pay some egregious amount of money for uh, a player to, uh, you know, wear a big spur hat in a TikTok video. 
<laughs> that's kind of my uh, my deal with, with that. If I got involved, and and I probably you know I'm I'm kicking it around. Um, and then there's other nil things that definitely have to happen. Uh, but it's up to the Gamecock fans and the businesses and all that to make it work. Um, I think South Carolina, based on what I've heard, is very competitive. You can't go also, Darian, on the, the – the Jimbo Fisher made a good point the other day, and this is why I thought it was absolutely stupid uh, for folks to take it and accuse – not accuse Texas A&M because it's legal even if they did it, uh, well, it's actually not legal. You can't entice recruits. You can't say we're going to give you hundred grand a year if you come play for us. Um, you can say here's what players are making nil wise with us, and don't you think this is a good deal? And yeah, you know you can do it like that. But for you know, don't be thrown off by the bro Bible who's quoting some anonymous person on Slick Willie whatever on a message board. That, that says Texas A&M is paying $40 million for recruits. That's, that's insane. That, that's not happening. And if it is, it's going to blow up in their face because you make a 16-, 17-year-old a millionaire, how hard is he really going to work when he gets to college? And, you know, some fans can sit there and worry about that because they worry sick about four-star and five-star and talent and all that, and they totally miss the fact, you know, this isn't basketball or baseball. This is football, and there are very few four- and five-star guys that don't have to develop. Clowney had to do some developing, you know, always great, but, you know, that second year he really got after it. You know, so that's – so you have that, okay? You you have um, Trevor Lawrence, obviously, you know, wasn't ready right away. Special player. Uh, maybe he didn't need to be coached. Maybe he did. Those guys are few and far between. This is this Quinn Ewers guy, you know, getting a, allegedly a seven-figure NIL deal already from Ohio, from a you know a local company when he went to Ohio State, and then Texas is raising the ante. That guy's not good enough to pay that much money to right now. Now he's a quarterback, so there's probably value in it. But you wait till we get down the road. Texas, who has the softest one of the softest teams in college football, right? That's their problem. It's been their problem since Mac Brown left, you know? So what their, their answer is we're going to pay all our offensive linemen 50 grand a year already, right off the bat. If you're an O lineman at Texas, you get 50 grand. Come on, man. Come on. And I mean, so let them spend, let them do it because you know what? Yeah. They may go get all these four and five star guys. But the chances, I mean, like you're already looking at five stars only panning out 60% of the time. You take motivation to work on your sport out of it because you have seven figures in the bank, that number is going to drop to about 10 or 20. Let them do it because there's 200 other players that are going to come work hard that are not really that much less talent-wise, right? You know, I mean, trust me, I did this. The, 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 there's not a lot of difference between number 10 in the country and number 70. You know, there's, there is there's a difference, you know, upside-wise or whatever. But trust me on that, man. Trust me. So people aren't thinking about this. But I'll, I'll say this. You know, South Carolina has done it the right way, and it's getting better, and – it's covering a lot of sports, and it, in football, every player there has been happy with, with what they've gotten so far. 
And I think there's going to be even more. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity in Columbia compared to some other places. Uh, like I said, who knows who else is going to pop up with a Garnet Trust style thing. Um, and then there's more and more and more you can do. Uh, and, 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 and the bottom line is, though, uh, it, it isn't going to be good for South Carolina if somebody would step in with a million dollars for players and stuff like that, like, you know, egregious money. Uh, and when I said egregious money for a spot earlier, I, I, I'm not talking about anything ridiculous, like a million dollars for it or anything like that. Uh, you know, above market, that kind of thing, not time consuming for the kids. But, uh, you know, pe- people have to think about this and, and, and especially with football, basketball, mm, that'd be a different deal. A lot different. Uh, football, mm, you gotta, you gotta kind of think about this and, and, and so far so good. Uh, you, you don't hear a lot about it, uh, but uh, I believe you're going to hear more and more. Uh, and, and I'll tell you this other thing about get the Gamecock fan base uh, before we roll on and wrap up here. NIL is a lot like political fundraising, okay? So South Carolina, let's say they were a candidate. And I'm look, I, this guy is not my candidate ever, <laughs> But uh, I'll, I'll put it out there. Bernie Sanders, okay? Bernie Sanders did not have – to could not raise money like Hillary Clinton in the 2016 uh, or Joe Biden in 2020. Those, those primary campaigns, they just uh, – the ability to go hobnob with donors that are going to write a $100,000 check to have dinner with you just wasn't there for old Bern. But what he did have was a passionate, large following that, yeah, they'll give you $10 a month right away. And, and that's where South Carolina lacks the big money, big, big money guys, the, the you know, the oil money guys like you see other places. There are legions of people that will Gamecock, loyal Gamecock fans that will give you between, you know, five and 50 bucks a month if they can. They'll give you the shirt off their back also. Uh, and, and I'm going to tell you this, my loyal audience, if you want to help NIL at South Carolina right now, you don't feel comfortable uh, giving to the Garnet Trust, uh, or that's just not something you're interested in. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd, very valuable player, obviously, five-star guy. Uh, you know, and, and it's good where you can sit there and say, well, here's what Marshawn Lloyd made when he was here. Uh, he just launched his new brand, Uno, a lot of good athletic gear. Uh, I know that Spencer Rattler, the minute he signed with the Gamecocks, uh, his gear shop sold out. <laughs> it was because my stuff, I, I bought it the day of, and my stuff was delayed two months. I got an email. It was all sold out. We got to order it. Supply chain. Uh, so go buy some Uno stuff. Go buy some DeCarrie and Joyner gear. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that have, you know, because they're able to sell T-shirts and shirts. And, it, and it's kind of cool, too, because you got – you know, you're just not wearing the same old block C. You're like, I got a Spencer Rattler shirt. You know, and Rattler, by the way, has, you know, South Carolina stuff, branded type stuff on uh, his website now, SpencerRattlerShop.com. Uh, but Marshawn Lloyd, uh, Uno brand, uh, go buy. I, I think I'm going to do it, you know, because it's legal. It's perfectly legal. I like the shirt. I'm going to buy it. Uh, but, you know, when a student athlete can say, hey, I, I, I came up when I was at South Carolina, I came up with my own clothing brand. And the fans are so great, they kept buying me out. Uh, and I made X, you know, and, and 
you know, it may be a million dollars. And if that's the case, who cares? Because the kid invested his time and creativity and 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 brand, you know, in developing a brand that people like. I mean, that that should be rewarded. Uh, and then these idiots say, you know, college football is not rewarding for anybody. I mean, you, you start your own million dollar business. I mean, that's good. You tell me college football is not working for them. Tell me college football is not working for DeCarry and Joyner right now. After the Mayo Bowl MVP and he's got camps. I mean, dude, that guy's Mr. NIL. People are like, well, DeCarrion, wouldn't he leave to go play quarterback? So I'm like, no, why would he? Now, now look, I'll back up. I can't. You never know. Okay. But right now, you know, I mean, he's making cash, winning MVPs, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and again, basketball is a different story because basketball is already uh, and and with with basketball, you can pay a college player a million bucks. You know, he uh, he's just going to go play basketball. You know, I mean, the NBA guys have games they don't show up, so you know, maybe a college game they don't show up. But look, it, you know, it, it, and then baseball. Honest to God, baseball really needs it. You know, the baseball at South Carolina really needs it. Another thing you got to think about, too, Darian, is this at South Carolina. South Carolina and Ole Miss are the only two that have done this. The Supreme Court ruling a a while back wasn't about NIL. It was about being able to compensate academically. And and then I think that kind of means, in other words, at South Carolina, if you're a student athlete, you're in good academic standing, which most of them are because of the work that – they do with the Doty. I mean, they're, they're excellent. It's probably the best, uh, one of the best academic centers for athletes in the country. I mean, what they've done there is amazing. And if you notice South Carolina is always on honor roll and all this other stuff with the sec, uh, in basketball, football, whatever. And so what you're doing is you're incentivizing kids financially to do well in school, which is uh, something your parents may have done. (laughs) But, you know, in South Carolina and Ole Miss are the only ones that have done this because, you know, students, student athletes sued because they were like, well, other students get this, this, and this money-wise, and athletes can't. And so they said, okay, you can do it. So South Carolina, uh, $6,000 a year, every student athlete that's uh, – everyone, uh, every student athlete that's in good standing, from the guy at the end of the bench, walk-ons, whatever – Six grand. And uh, in college, that's not bad, especially if maybe your name, image, and likeness isn't, uh, you know, isn't as as good as you want it to be. So that's a good question, Darian. We'll talk way more about all this stuff, especially if I launch an NIL deal, guys, especially if I do that. Uh, And like I said, not 100% that I am, but it could happen. It could happen. All right, great episode here. Great questions from the mailbag. Lots of good topics. Hope all of you have a wonderful Tuesday. Uh, We'll be back soon. J.C. Sherbert signing off inside the Gamecocks podcast.